Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. Thank you so much for watching us or listening to us today. We really appreciate that. Go to trdshow.net. That's where you can find a list of links to all of the many platforms we're on. It's also our show website, so we've got all sorts of really fun stuff there where we kind of talk about what the show is, the mission of the show, and all of that, which is going to play into our conversation today. So go to trdshow.net and definitely check that out. My name is Bruce Johnson. I'm joined here today by my brother, Jacob Johnson. Hello. And uh, yeah, he's in Pennsylvania, for those who are new listeners. I'm in South Dakota. Sadly. Yes, sadly. (laughs) So yeah, so those sorts of things are going to play in our conversations. They did on Tuesday, or Wednesday. There's no in-between show anymore. Um, So yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com. By the way, those emails, they don't just go into a nebulous abyss and are never heard from again. Because, you know, our show today revolves around one of those emails that got sent to us. So send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com. We got a fantastic one we're going to break down today. We want to break down your email. So, hey, maybe next week we're talking about your email if you get it to us. Um, So also topic ideas. I mean, that's kind of what this one was. was, He didn't mean it that way. He didn't send it to us as a topic idea, but that's kind of what it turned into. Send us some questions, differing perspectives, all that kind of stuff. And um, we have reserved our Friday episodes for those of you who are new listeners. Friday is our discussion topic week or episode, not week. Good grief. It's been a long week for me. Um, So (laughs) words are hard. Um, So today we're going to be discussing a very, very interesting topic. Huge, huge topic. The three laws, the three groups of laws in the Bible. What are they? And... How do they apply to us today? The three laws. So we're not going to be able to get to like even a quarter of everything that could possibly be said about this topic. It is so broad, so much to be said. Everything we're about to say has tons and tons of like, if you can just like imagine just a net and just tree, like a a tree where it's sprouting out. Every single point we're going to make today is like a, a stump. And there's all sorts of like branches and leaves that go off of that stump. And we're not going to get to any of that. So we're going to lay down the basics as much as we possibly can in half an hour. Before we get to that, all of that stuff, we have to talk about the verse of the week. And our verse this week is Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. And it says, And to him, and him being Christ, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Again, that's Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. Wow, this is a huge verse. We talked a lot about this verse this week. Jake broke it down on Wednesday. I broke it down on Monday. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it now because we've already talked about that. If you missed those two episodes, definitely go back and check at least one of those out. But, I mean, this is huge. Um, Especially if we're talking about And as you're going to see in a second, Revelation was brought up in this email. If we're talking about the end times, you can't ignore verses like this that talk about every nation will serve him. Every people, nation, all nations, peoples, and languages should serve him. His dominion, everlasting dominion, shall not pass away. His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. This is long-lasting. This is fully expansive. The entire earth, right, is God's kingdom, is God's kingdom. So, This, I think, is really important. Okay, the three laws. What are they? How do they apply today? How do they apply to us? So, like I said, we're not going to get to everything. But we got an email 
from a listener asking us a question about something we said on the show last Monday. And so I just want to read this email on the show. And um, it's from a guy named Gabriel. So first of all, Gabriel, thank you so much for your email. We really appreciate it. Um, Gabriel's email said, just wanted to let you all know that I've been really enjoying your new format and the way it lends to y'all's ability to be a little more intentional with each portion of the show. I just listened to episode 51 yesterday and really loved what I heard. I think you guys totally hit on some solid truths that are often left unsaid or watered down. Thank you, Gabriel. Really appreciate that. You mentioned writing in with any thoughts or comments, and I figured I would just drop a few of my thoughts and maybe ask for some of y'all's, especially as it pertains to Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. For those of you who are unfamiliar, that is the Great Commission, which we talk about a lot on the show. Uh, And Jake's comments on the fact that all of God's laws and commands still apply and play a role in the lives of God's people. Awesome. I'm excited. So... He continues, in John's first epistle, he hammers home the point that one of the foundational reasons for keeping the commandments is because it is how we should show our love for God and therefore those around us. First John chapter five, verses two through three. And in James especially, it is also clearly shown that it's how we demonstrate our faith. James chapter two. And if uh, those of you who are longtime listeners of the show, that was actually our verse of the week long, 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 long time ago. It was like the second month that we <laughs> we started the show. So yeah, we're very familiar with the book of James as it pertains to using uh, some of those verses to explain how we should be devoted to God and how we shouldn't be just hearers of the word only, but doers of the word. Very important. Uh, Gabriel continued, and as y'all mentioned, they also play a direct role in self-governance and walking humbly with our creator. As such, here's kind of the main thrust the main question he had as such what are your thoughts on these passages and the laws slash commands they contain as well as how this all ties into a significant little verse in revelation that speaks to the significance of not only having the testimony of jesus christ but also keeping his commandments and he listed revelations 13 verses 12 through 13 um he also listed revelations 12 17 Um, i'm adding an s to the word to the end of revelation (laughs) oh well so he listed those verses he also listed leviticus 11 and leviticus 23 which we're definitely going to touch on today uh, he continued, he said, I hope you all are having an awesome summer, even better time descending against the profane pride that this world has come to keep steady on the plow and planting seeds. God will yield an increase according to his timing and plans. Gabriel, thank you so, so much for your email. Really, really appreciate it. Very much encouraging. And we really appreciate your question. It kind of sparked this whole idea of the laws that are in the Bible and how they relate to one another, how they relate to us, how they relate to the rest of the word of God. Uh, What are they? What are all the, there seem to be a lot of these things and there's a lot of discussion around them. So we want to talk about that. Jake, you have something you want to bring up. Yes. And as a disclaimer, just for, before we get into this fully understanding and going through the topic of the three different laws and how they apply to us today. um, And I, I wanted to give this, Um, In talking about the laws of God, we must first understand that the ceremonial laws have been fulfilled in Christ as we find in Acts 15. However, they still show us the need for Christ's perfect sacrifice, right? Yes, and right now, those of you who are like, what the heck is he talking about? The ceremonial laws, we're going to explain that in a minute, so don't worry. You're going to be confused for a little bit, but Jake's kind of like setting up our conversation for today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's jumping yeah. ahead, though, a little bit. Um, so, I, actually, I'd love for you to restate that in just a second, because I think that's going to be super pertinent to this next section that I want to get into. So, thanks for bringing that up, Jake, kind of setting the scope of where we're going with this, so that was that was really cool. Um, 
But, you know, before we get into some of the details, we get into the weeds, we start separating laws into different groups, all that kind of stuff. We got to lay some, we got to lay some groundwork. We got to make sure that we're all starting at the same place. We're all kind of on the same playing field, if you will. So we want to talk about our perspective and our mission with this show, because it actually plays really well into this, this conversation, right? So our mission is to apply all of scripture to all of life. That's our goal with this show. Um, Abraham Kuyper is quoted as saying, there is not an inch, a square inch in the whole dominion of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. So everything is Christ's and there's not a square inch that he doesn't cry mine. Subsequently, it follows that if we believe that we've found an area of life that the Bible does not speak to, we should begin to question whether we have a thorough understanding of what the word of God truly says about our lives. So if we think we found a square inch of life that the Bible doesn't apply to, we're probably wrong. (laughs) And it probably means we need to study the word of God more thoroughly. So with that in mind, let's continue. What are the three laws? What do we mean by this? And why do they matter? Throughout the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we find a whole host of laws given by God to his people. So there's a lot there. I mean, those are one, two, three, four books of the Bible. Not small books, I might add. (laughs) Lots of things happen there in addition to history. But interwoven throughout the history of Israel and the history of the world is also laws given by God to his people. Modern day churches are most familiar with 10 of these laws found in the book of Exodus. They're also restated in uh, Deuteronomy, I believe. These laws are typically called the moral laws. When Christ is asked what the greatest commandment is, he sums up the first five, then the last five in the moral law. So this is taken from Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 through 41. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him, which is Christ, asked Christ a question to test him. He said, teacher, which is the great commandment? Which is the the great commandment in the law? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend, catch this next part, all the law and the prophets, end quote. So, Christ is saying that the rest of the laws, the rest of them, depend on these two summations of the moral law. Now, this is the intriguing part of this. This is like, wait a minute, what? What do you mean? There's not just 10? What is this? What is this talking about? The rest of the laws, everything else in the word of God kind of hinges on these two fundamental principles. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. As I think Mark says, add strength to that as well. I, I don't remember exactly. But... Christ says that's the first, that's the greatest, that's number one. And makes sense that that's number one in the moral law as well. Like, there shall be no, you shall have no other gods before me is number one. Secondly, though, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So it pertains to how we love God should then change how we love all the people around us. So to recap, I just, moral law, that's, I mean, we've thrown that term out there, just To recap what what we're actually talking about with the moral law, the Ten Commandments or the moral law is the the first type of law. So we're talking about these three groupings. The moral law is grouping one, those ten laws. Thou shalt not steal, shalt not uh, murder, commit adultery, all of these things. Covetousness, those five, all of those honoring your parents, all of those are related to your neighbor, other people, and the first five are related to God, right? The Sabbath day, not having idols, all of those things. 
um, they sum up and build a foundation for the rest of the laws throughout scripture. So verse 40, Christ said something interesting. He said, on these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. What, what does he mean? What, what are the rest of these, of these laws? So we're going to get to that in just a second. Before I do, Jake, is there anything that you'd like to add when talking about the moral law? Is there anything you'd like to, to add to this conversation just as it pertains to that one particular set? Um, no, not necessarily, unless you want me to go into talking about both the moral law and the judicial law. Ooh, let's save and that. Actually, yes, okay. let's do that in a few minutes when we get to the judicial law. That would be, yep. that'd be good. All right. Yep. Because we didn't even get to that one yet. So <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Cool. Okay. So the second set of laws. Now you heard Jake use this term earlier. So this is where it comes into play. Ceremonial. This is the second the second set of laws that are in the Bible. The ceremonial laws are laws which foreshadowed the death of Christ for the atonement of our sins. So many of them centered around the shedding of blood, usually of a lamb, which portrayed innocence, and were constant reminders to the people of Israel and to us today of just how steep the cost of our sins truly was, what it truly took. Um, and I'll open up the floor to Jake in, in just a second, but I also want to throw this in as well. The, these laws were also reminders that we should be bringing our best to God. The people needed to bring the best of their flocks, usually the ones that would fill up their bank accounts or stomachs the most. It was a sacrifice of the best fruits of their labors to God. This, was, this wasn't just something that was just, oh, just bring a lamb, you know, kill it and spill its blood. No, no, no. This was the best best lamb of their flock. To understand what this meant to these people, you have to think about your livelihood and imagine you build something and you now take that and you give it to God physically. It's not yours anymore. That's now God's. That's what these people did. They rose these sheep, this the their flock, and they took the best of that and gave it to God. This still applies to us today. This principle, this idea that we are to give our best to God, which is why we always end the show with, in all that you do, do as unto the Lord. God shouldn't just be an afterthought in our lives. This is this kept him at the forefront of the people of Israel's minds. They were constantly having to bring their best to God. But again, these laws are fulfilled in Christ, and we're going to talk about that specifically as it relates to Leviticus 11, and Leviticus 23, which were the two passages that um, Gabriel brought up. But before I do, Jake, anything you'd like to add about in regards to the ceremonial law? Um, yes. And awesome. talking about how they still apply to us today. Sweet. All right. And as stating, right, as we said in the beginning, what are the three laws and how do they apply to us today? Because all three still apply to us today. Mm. In some essence. Yep. Right. Because, and, and I want to break this down in saying that the priests had to continually make uh, sacrifices of animals to atone for people's sins. And this was a sign towards Christ's perfect sacrifice, which put an end to all animal sacrifices because Christ was enough to atone for all of his elect. Yes. Right? So it should, the <clears throat> ceremonial law still should apply to us today as a sign to Christ's perfect sacrifice, mm. right? 
it should always send us back to thinking about Christ's perfect sacrifice. Otherwise, we would still need to atone for our sins by giving an animal sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, Even yeah. though we do not need to do that today. Yeah. And I don't think anyone... We don't bring our, our calves to the worship service on Sunday. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So, and I don't think anyone believes, or maybe there's a small subset of people... <laughs> anyone who believes that the ceremonial law still applies to us today. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Really good. Thank you, Jake. Um, yeah. So let me get into some of the specifics, you know, Gabriel, you brought up Leviticus 11, um, specifically and Leviticus 11 chapter 11 is, is a verse, um, or I'm sorry, it's a, it's an example of God setting his people apart from the nations around them. Uh, it's a long list of foods that were called unclean for the people of Israel at that time to eat. Usually we call these dietary laws. So under the ceremonial heading, these would be the dietary laws under the ceremonial laws umbrella. It shouldn't surprise us that many of these dietary laws actually helped keep people from eating things that could cause health issues, like shellfish, for example. Some people can go into like anaphylactic shock um, because of them being allergic to shellfish. So it actually probably helped to save a lot of people's lives because they didn't know about that at the time. So that's something interesting to note. Um, Leviticus 23, um, God, that's, that's God setting up holidays and special days to help the people remember what he has done for them, um, to also point ahead to Christ in the case of the Passover feast. But these ceremonial laws, this is really important. These ceremonial laws have been fulfilled in Christ. And fulfilled is an important word. They're not erased. Christ said, I, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill, right? This is what he's talking about. He's fulfilled these laws. They pointed toward him. Now that he has done the act that they pointed towards, we don't follow these anymore. These aren't laws that we're called to follow. And that's not just an arbitrary thing I came up with off the top of my head or dozens of church fathers have come up with off the top of their heads. We're going to talk about and prove that from scripture right now. Um, they're no longer observed by Christians today since we have the perfect fulfillment of them in Christ's death and resurrection. This is seen over and over again throughout the New Testament. Specifically, look up these passages. I'm not going to read through these all. Look these up, okay? Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 33. Um, and also Mark chapter 7, verses 14 through 24 in regards to Leviticus chapter 11. So those are those are really, really important. Um also, Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 through 23, speaks to both Leviticus 11 and Leviticus 23. Verses uh, 14 through 17 says, He, being Christ, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink. Right there, Leviticus 11 is right out the window. In questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So I think that pertains a lot to number 23, Leviticus 23. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. That key phrase at the end, the substance belongs to Christ. What were these laws about? Setting us apart, making us different, realizing and, and making it a very practical and physical realization that we are different. We are not to be worldly. We are to do things the way that God has called us to do them and to be different than the people around us, than the nations around us. Now it's been fulfilled in Christ and now we're to go and change the nations around us. Now we're not only to be different, we're supposed to make the people around us different too, to help give them the gospel, to change their hearts and minds through the sharing 
of the gospel so that God can work in them with the power of the Holy Spirit to then go out and change cultures, individuals, to then families, to churches, to the civil government, all of it. Now that what Christ has done on the cross has opened up and exploded an entirely new way of, of, of approaching culture and civilization. Okay. With that said, hopefully it's clear that um, we don't believe the ceremonial laws apply in that way today. They were fulfilled in Christ. We're not shedding blood of animals now to atone for our own sins. That is heresy. So, um, all right. We got about 10 minutes left, which is not a lot of time for what I want to get through. But now we want to get to the third set of laws. Before I do, Jake, anything you'd like to add? Um, I mean, if you want me to go through the ju judicial law, I give a very brief... Uh, no, no, go ahead. You go okay. through what I'll you want to go through okay. a little bit. Yes. <laughs> cool. I, I can give a very brief explanation of awesome. them. Awesome. But... Sounds great. Yeah. Well, I will define what we mean when we say judicial law and a little bit of how they apply and tie into this whole conversation. So these laws instruct us on how to create and structure a nation. They instruct us how to construct a nation. Most of these laws can be found throughout the book of Deuteronomy, Exodus, and parts of Leviticus. They demonstrate key principles of God's perfect justice. And they actually use the nation of Israel to illustrate these principles. So that's how I always look at these laws. Israel is kind of like an illustration of these principles. It's like God has given these principles and then he specifically showed Israel how to apply these principles. But we now today are, because we're not Israel, that was an illustration, that was a picture. Now we take these, uh, these principles and we do what the founding fathers did. We apply them to our modern day nation today the same way Israel did in their day. And by the same way, obviously, it can't be the same way because one of the laws is don't trust in horses and chariots, don't accrue those, those things. What that's getting at is don't have a massive standing army. Don't go on the offensive with your standing army, right? And uh, there's a lot more that we could get into in, in that. But we take those principles and we apply them to our country today. So, Jake, I'm going to pass it on over to you, actually, because what I want to touch on just briefly is that a lot of people will say that with the ceremonial law, we also throw out the judicial law. And... I take issue with that. I really do. I don't, I just, I don't see in scripture. In fact, I see the opposite. And that's what I'd like for you to demonstrate in just a second. I just don't see in scripture where God says these principles of perfect justice, these principles of how to perfectly structure your nation and society are now gone. Make it up as you go along. Good luck. Have fun. I don't see that anywhere in scripture. And Jake, I'm going to pass it over to you to talk about a verse that actually shows the opposite. Yes, and while while showing that they do apply, also through the same verse, I'm going to also show how the moral laws and judicial laws are interconnected. Ooh, They're not the same, I'm they excited. are interconnected, though. Sweet. And this can be found in Matthew 15, verse 1 through 5, when it says, Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother what you should... Sorry. 
What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. End quote. Mm. And basically showing here, right, to break this down, we find in this very passage both moral and civil, sorry, moral and judicial law, right? When Jesus talks about the broad aspect, which would be the moral law, saying, honor thy father and mother, he's talking again about moral law. Mm -hmm. But then Christ then also uses the same and talks about judicial law when he says, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Right? Yes. And and the, the separation between these two things, right, is that the moral law is speaking to a broad, right? Speaking big, speaking about a principle. Mm. Whereas the judicial law or civil law is specific. Yes. Often, and this is often not always the case, but you can tell a judicial law from a moral law when it adds a punishment. Mm. Yes. In this, it says, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Yes. Right? It's adding a punishment. And it's talking more specifically. It's talking about whoever reviles father and mother. Yeah. Right? Not just saying the overall principle of honor thy father and mother, saying whoever reviles father and mother dies. Specific. Yeah. And it's good to know, too, that this is it's gone to the point of the civil government. It had to be brought up before the courts. It had to come to the point at which the courts now have to be involved because some sort of crime was committed. This person is reviling their parents to an extreme point that the courts have to be involved. And now God's justice demands this, the death penalty. Right. Right. So whenever whenever the death penalty or capital punishment is involved, certainly the civil government is involved. Yeah. But also in any of these punishments, if it's brought to the civil government, then that is when the civil government gets involved in the judicial matter. Yes. However, unless it's brought to the civil government, I I think it should be understood that we we find Paul saying, go to the church, right? Mm. Go to the church first. Right, because they will give you good justice based on the Bible. Yes, yeah, and not the not the death penalty justice. Right, but right. the kind where retribution is required, all of those sorts of things. Yeah, um, that's that's really good. Yeah, because this is this is hopefully it's clear by now that what Jesus is saying here is he's combining the moral. And the judicial, not combining, but he's bringing both and putting them on the same level, right? Both of these are equally important. So the judicial laws show us that the civil government is the justice division of society. And they also give strict stipulations for how national defense should be implemented. I've linked in the description below this video. Check out this sermon by Dr. Philip Kayser. I'm telling you, this sermon is incredible. It's called The Military and the Trajectory of History. It's really, really good to, um, it's a fantastic sermon. We got about three minutes left. I'm going to try and get through as much of this as I can. But the civil laws demonstrate what true justice looks like, which is retribution. Um, Or I'm sorry, restitution. Check out Exodus chapter 12, verses 18 through 19 uh, for that. And then also uh, Exodus 21, verses 33 through 22. Two, and then also, um, I think all of chapter 
Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Uh, uh, Exodus 21, 33 through Exodus 22, verse 14. That's There's a lot there about restitution. Um, the civil laws, the, the judicial laws are also called case laws. They also uphold property rights. Check out Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 14. They show how court cases should be run, Deuteronomy 19, 15 through 21. They give economic principles, Deuteronomy 25, 13 through 16, and call us to care for the oppressed in Deuteronomy 24, verses 10 through 14. So, wow, <laughs> there's a lot there. But what this is showing us is how to structure a society. The judicial laws are governing principles that we need to apply to our society today. Yes, that will look different. But it also looked different in the Founding Fathers' day, but they did it. The Founding Fathers used the judicial laws to construct our once great nation. Principles like limited civil government and representation of the people. That's not an idea they came up with. Representative government came from the Bible. Check out Exodus chapter 18, also Exodus chapter 19, verse 7. Um... Those are derived from scripture. Additionally, the Westminster Confession of Faith states that the judicial laws are to be applied in their, and then they have a term, general equity, which means that their principles still apply today. Abraham Kuyper wrote a fantastic piece on, on this, which in, in which he breaks down the specifics of what the Puritans meant by this phrase, and I'll link that in the description as well. So check out those two things. Philip Kayser, uh, his sermon, and then uh, Abraham Kuyper his uh, article that he wrote on the Westminster Confession of Faith and the judicial laws. So I've put together a brief excerpt of what he says in that piece. Um, so I'll just kind of read through that. It's fairly short, uh, but I think it, it wraps up pretty well this conversation and kind of sets us uh, in the, gives us the ability to kind of move on from this. So he says, the Puritans used the word equity to show in what manner the judicial law was still in force. Modern piists insist on taking the term equity to mean almost complete internalization. They mean that the Decalogue has to be internalized. In our personal moral behavior, um, what he's saying is the Decalogue has to be in internalized in our personal moral behavior. So these principles can apply to our moral behavior, but eh, not much. Um, they're also saying that it has no external use or application. For example, that it cannot be applied to the political realm because the state no longer has any duty to enforce such law. But this is not what the Puritans meant when they came to explain it to the. Uh, I'm sorry. When they came to explain in the catechisms what the Ten Commandments mean and how they are to be applied, they resorted to the very judicial laws that modern Reformed Pietists say they taught had been abrogated. End quote. So what he's saying there is that. Even the Puritans, the people that wrote um, the Westminster Confession of Faith, they believed that the judicial laws were still to be applied. And when they did proof texts for um, the Confessions of Faith, the questions and answers that related to the Ten Commandments, the moral law, they would actually quote judicial law. Just like Jake was saying earlier, judicial law is the practical example of how moral law is to be applied today. So that's a really, really important point. All right. Um, getting a, we're going to go like five to 10 minutes over. This is going to be a longer episode because there's just so much to talk about, but I just, I have to break down this, this revelation passage just, just briefly because you mentioned it, Gabriel asked about it. So I figured it would be good to break down. Jake, did you, before I do, is there something that you'd like to, to mention or bring up about that? Just that it, 
doesn't necessarily speak to the topic that we're trying to speak to. Yes. Um, it doesn't, well, especially um, Revelation 13. Yeah. Uh, many people have different interpretations they do. on what Revelation means, especially Revelation 13 <laughs> when talking about the different beasts. Yes. Um, and if you want us to go into a little bit of what each beast is, we I, I do believe Bruce and I are kind of on a, in agreement as to what um, each beast is. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but I don't think it applies to a topic of talking about the moral, civil, and ceremonial laws. Yeah. Um, yep. I agree. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. And it's... Yeah, there are three, for those of you who are unaware, there are three primary perspectives on eschatology or the, the end times. Um, there's pre-mill, pre-millennialist, amillennialist, and post-millennialist. Those are the, 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 the buzzwords. Those are the, the main perspectives on that. So each of those perspectives and viewpoints have differing views on what these passages would mean and, and all of that kind of stuff. But um, when we're talking about the, the beast, um, this here is talking about... Uh, Let's see, what was this? Verse 12. Um, it exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast those mortal uh, whose mortal wound was healed, performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. Again, that's Revelation 13, 12 through 13. Um, so there are lots of ways to take that. And I think we would say that that relates to um, Rome and was already fulfilled Roman uh, uh, emperors, I believe that that's relating to. There's a lot that that's involved in, but a large portion of that is we're still, you know, we may never know. We may not know completely and 100% what the answer is to those prophecies. I think if we focus too much on that, if we focus on those, we lose the point of the book of Revelation. The point is we are going to be victorious. The point is Christ wins in the end. Now, I would argue that we are living in the new heavens and the earth, new earth right now, and that we are working right now to be victorious on earth through the power of, of Christ. But that's a topic for another day. So thank you for bringing that up. We had to address that kind of just to because you threw it in there. So the main point. All right, I'll wrap this up in two minutes. Here we go. The main point, as Christians, we're called to make disciples of all nations. Check out Matthew 28 for that. Gabriel also mentioned that. Uh, and the church, as the bride of Christ, is called to bring healing to the nations. Check out Revelation 22, verse 2. The church is called the bride of Christ. The, the healing leaves of the trees that are mentioned there, that's, that's us. We're meant to go and heal the nations through the word of God. The power of Christ on earth fulfilled and, and, and carried out through his church, the bride, is meant to go heal the nations and to bring all people to Christ. Check out, uh, or all of these nations should be under the reign of Christ. Look at Revelation 22, verse 17. Those, that's what we're called to do. Called, uh, we're called to structure societies according to the word of God. So first though, and this is, this is the takeaway from this whole thing. First, Christians need to know what the word says about all areas of life. These laws are our guides, blueprints, and requirements for how to structure societies for the kingdom 
of God. So Gabriel, again, thank you so much for your question. We spent an extra couple of minutes breaking that down. Hopefully that answered your question. If you still have questions, send us another email. We'd love to hear from you though, um, the audience. Send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com. Go to trdshow.net. That's our show website. You'll find a list of links to all the many platforms we're on. And uh, thank you so, so much for watching. Jake, anything you'd like to add before we wrap up? Nope, nope, right. not necessarily. Sweet. But uh, yeah. All right. Thanks for bringing this up and send us another email. Yes. If you want us to continue talking about that Revelation 13 <laughs> yes. passage. Cuz uh, we could we could geek out on a lot of that stuff for sure. There is so much there and it is so encouraging. Um and I think so many people just misinterpret that and get very pessimistic about the future. Future is not pessimistic. From now on the future is victorious. The future is optimistic. That's the message of Revelation. It is an optimistic book, and it's calling us to action from an optimistic perspective. All right. Thank you all so, so much for watching. We'll see you all in the next episode. And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do as unto the Lord.